Hey, everybody. My name is Sarah Kreger. I'm an emergency physician and intensivist at UCLA. This is the ICU-EDU podcast. Today, let's talk about what I am going to dub the sepsis survey. So this is intended for patients who you think are in septic shock who just aren't getting better. Maybe they're boarding in your ED and they've been boarding for who knows how many hours these days. Maybe there's somebody on the floor who was admitted and you're being called on them because they're not getting better. But the patient who you're like, yeah, okay, this patient we think is in septic shock. We need to admit them. And then you get called back because they're still not looking good. They've gotten antibiotics. They've gotten some fluids. But maybe their blood pressure is just getting worse and worse. Maybe their lactate is still going up. And the patient, most importantly, doesn't look good. What do you do? Well, this idea came up when I was talking to Jan Schoenberger about a case of a patient who got admitted for urosepsis and was really not getting better and ultimately ended up having Fournier's gangrene. And how can you decide that, you know, I'm just going to try not to miss those things. Like we shouldn't be missing those things, but it sounds simple, but it's not. And she said something, I think, just off the cuff, which as many things she says just off the cuff are extremely insightful. She was like, you know, maybe we should think about it more like we think about a trauma survey, a systematic way of approaching these patients where we systematically but rapidly go through and make sure we're not missing anything. And I think that's totally brilliant. And so I'm sort of running with that idea and I'm trying to flesh out this idea of approaching these sick septic patients the same way we approach trauma patients. And this is what I've come up with so far. So I want to break it down just like we do trauma, because I think we have a really good system in trauma for doing this into first your primary survey and your secondary survey. But for me, in a septic survey, in a septic patient, my primary survey is actually determining whether I'm correct that this is septic shock at all. Is it septic shock or actually are they in cardiogenic shock? Actually, do they have a massive PE? Actually, do you know they have tamponade? Making sure I'm right. And especially if it's a patient who's been admitted already for septic shock and maybe they're boarding and you're coming to them several hours, maybe even sometimes a day into their course. Did it start out as septic shock? But is it only septic shock? Maybe, you know, you gave them a bunch of fluids and they came in with septic shock, but now it turns out that their heart failure is kind of acting up. So that is my primary survey. Do an assessment with your good clinical skills with ultrasound to try and make sure you're treating what you think you're treating. And just like with the primary survey in trauma, stop everything else you're doing. If you actually are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe I'm not treating septic shock don't pass go, don't collect $200 and move on to the secondary part of the survey until you have figured this one out. So that's your primary survey. Am I actually dealing with septic shock or solely septic shock? Then the secondary part of the survey. And this is basically much like the trauma exam. You get everything off the patient. Sometimes their clothes haven't been removed yet because, you know, that's just what happens sometimes these days. Sometimes they have a gown and it's all tangled and tied up and, you know, get everything off the patient and look at both sides of them. Make sure you roll them and then go systematically, just like we do in trauma. And just like in trauma, we get good at it and we can do it pretty fast. You know, we can do a fairly extensive exam pretty fast because we practice doing it. So for me, the things I can think of on my sort of secondary survey full exam from top to bottom are H-E-N-T, look in their ears, make sure there's no masnoid tenderness, and look in their mouth. Is there a big Ludwig's angina that you've been missing? Is there a pus coming from somewhere? 
neck. Do they have true neck stiffness? Do I need to start thinking about a deep space neck infection or maybe a meningitis? Three, cardiac. This is where you listen specifically. I'm listening for a murmur. And as we'll talk about with the ultrasound part, if your ultrasound skills are good enough, you're looking for valvular stuff. Lungs, I find on exam less useful for infection because at this point, I'm almost certainly already gotten a chest x-ray. And ultrasound, repeat chest x-ray, maybe a CT are probably more useful. Abdomen, this is extremely useful because we all know so much of the time our infection is hiding in the abdomen. And especially a little old person, you know, Little old people, their abdominal exams were put on this earth to trick and deceive us. How many times has it happened that you're like, you know, you're a resident and you're reporting to your attending, no, no, their belly exam was fine. Then it turns out they have a perforated ulcer. So really careful abdominal exam. Back, you gotta turn the patient. Just like in trauma, turn the patient. Do they have any rashes? Do they have any injuries? Do they have, you know, anything that could be infected? I missed a big back abscess in a patient once because I just hadn't looked there. Then you're looking at, do they have any sacral decubes? And anything that may make you think, oh yeah, they have some focal tenderness. I need to get some additional imaging there. Then you got to look at the perineum. We always avoid doing this, but forniase, perirectal abscess, do they just have a horrible cellulitis? They can be hiding all kinds of things. You know, what does their sacral D-cube actually look like? How far does it extend? Next, extremities. And here, you're looking for septic arthritis, you're looking for gangrene, you're looking for any other cellulitis abscesses you might have missed. And then whatever parts you haven't done of the skin exam, again, rashes that might give you clues to the kind of infection and any kind of abscess or cellulitis you could have missed. And finally, you're looking for your chronic indwelling lines and tubes. Do they have a pick everybody forgot about? Do they have a tunnel dialysis catheter? Maybe they have an indwelling foley nobody paid attention to. So that is my sepsis secondary survey. Get everything off them, roll them, and just like we do in trauma, systematically go looking for sources of infection. Now, the next thing is ultrasound. And um, I don't think there's a name for this, so I'm just going to dub it, for lack of a better name, the SUS, the Systematic Ultrasound for Septic Shock. If somebody can come up with a better name for this, please do. I'm not great at naming things like this. Um, and I'm going to do another podcast where I talk to one of my ultrasound colleagues a little bit more extensively because ultrasound is, you know, I'm okay at ultrasound, but I'm not fantastic at it by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, I want to talk to them more about just like we do a fast where we do a rapid ultrasound, you know, in trauma, looking for some very specific things. What do we do in sepsis? How can we use ultrasound, leverage our ultrasound skills to identify other things? You know, you can look at their lungs, their gallbladder. You can look for free fluid in the abdomen. You can look at the bowel. Is their bladder decompressed? Do they have hydro? So I'll be doing another podcast talking about the details of how you systematically ultrasound for septic shock, the SUS, maybe they'll come up with a better name. Okay. So now you've done your primary survey. Is this septic shock or only septic shock? You've done your secondary survey where you systematically examine the patient looking for sources of infection. You've done your ultrasound. The next thing I do is I then complete the last part, my data review. Because you're going to have some data, and I've missed things so many times just because it hadn't come back yet. I forgot to look at it. Or when I looked at it, you know, maybe I was looking at the chest X-ray to make sure that I hadn't given them a pneumothorax while I put in the uh, the central line, but I failed to notice that, like, oh, actually, they have a, a fusion, and maybe is that an empyema? 
So I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at their UA, their chest x-ray, any other imaging they may have had, prior cultures they may have had, and then look for any risk factors in their history for specific things. So for example, do they have in-stage liver disease? And I need to be thinking about all those things. Do they actually have a known valvular lesion? Are they an in-stage renal patient and they're just at risk for everything? Did they have a recent hospitalization? Are they immunosuppressed? Looking for anything in the data I already have on the patient, whether it's labs, imaging, or just you know, historical information that may point me to a source of infection that I need to investigate further. And then finally, I go to my thinking about, okay, Given all this data I've just collected, what are my decision points? And it's like in trauma, you know, our decision points are, do we go to the CT scanner? Do we go OR? Do we go IR? Do, you know, we all know how this works in trauma. So what are my decision points in our sepsis survey as opposed to our trauma survey? And I think my three main decision points are one, antimicrobial coverage, two, source control, and three, additional diagnostics. So in terms of antimicrobial coverage, you know, what do I need? Am I covering them with appropriate agents and doses? And so the first one is dose, right? Because depending where you think the infection is, you may not be dosing it appropriately. You know, CNS infections need different doses. Soft tissue infections sometimes need different doses. So let me just make sure that I've dosed my antimicrobials appropriately. Then, do I need broader antibiotics? And I don't think that we should be doing this like, well, I started some ceftriaxone and two hours later, they're not getting better. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, do they have specific pieces of information that make me think that one, I need a antimicrobial, you know, I was just covering for urine, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Now I'm suspecting, do they have a deep space neck infection? And I need something that's going to cover those bugs. Did I identify historical information like, oh, you know what? They actually were here two months ago and had VRE. Or do I identify risk factors? So, you know, risk factors, for example, do I need antifungal coverage, for example? Um, or risk factors for some in unusual infections? And so maybe, um, you know, actually, this patient has HIV and I need to cover them, now that I'm thinking about this, for PJP with some Bactrim. So do I need broader or different antimicrobial coverage? And do I need a different dose? Source control. So you can give them all the antibiotics you want, but if you're not controlling a source, it doesn't matter. So do I need to drain an abscess? Do I need to drain something else? Do they need a perk coli? Um, you know, do they need a nephrostomy tube? I've certainly missed this before, where I successfully diagnosed somebody with urosepsis. They're not getting better because I failed to notice that they actually have an obstructing stone. So do they need a decompression? Do they need a nephrostomy? Um, do I need to remove some kind of indwelling line or tube? Or is there just something really bad on their abdominal exam and might at some point they need an X-lab? So do I need some kind of additional source control? Now, sometimes you don't know the answer to that. You need additional information. And so that is the last piece of my decision point. You know, do I need additional diagnostics? Now, sometimes that's going to be a procedure. Do I need to do a lumbar puncture, a paracentesis, a thoracentesis? Do I need a diagnostic procedure? Imaging. Do I need a CT scan? You know, um, if I haven't scanned them yet, do I need to get a CT scan of their chest, of their abdomen, pelvis, of their neck? And especially for belly stuff, 
If I got a non-con CT before, let me reassess the risk benefit of contrast now. I'm not going to get into the whole CT contrast debate right now because that's a whole nother podcast. Suffice it to say, what we now know about the risk or often lack thereof of giving people IV contrast compared to the risk of missing a source in a patient who's not getting better and you think they're not getting better because we need source control for their sepsis, you've got to take both risks into account. So do I need to get a different kind of CT scan? Do I need to get an MRI? I mean, almost never, but if you're thinking epidural abscess, then yeah, maybe. And lastly, if you're thinking valves potentially endocarditis, do I need a formal echo? Now, that's unlikely to be the reason directly that, you know, endocarditis that your patient's decompensating from a septic standpoint. But if you do suspect endocarditis, I had a patient the other day who came in and was septic from endocarditis, but the reason he was dying, the reason he was, you know, falling apart hemodynamically was in fact because he had wide open AI, right? So again, do I need more diagnostics to help me figure out why this patient is decompensating? So that is the sepsis survey. For patients in septic shock who are really sick, who aren't getting better, a systematic approach to these patients so we're not missing something. You start with your primary survey. Is this septic shock or only septic shock? You go to your secondary survey, a full exam, take everything off the patient, look for sources of infection. You then do your ultrasound, your, we'll call it SUS exam, looking systematically for sources of sepsis. And then you review your historical lab imaging data and then go to your decision points, which are, do I need broader antimicrobial coverage? Do I need additional source control? And do I need additional diagnostics to help me make these decisions? So that's the sepsis survey. Thank you guys so much for listening.